Take your Bibles and turn to John chapter 18. John chapter 18, okay? If you are uh, visiting with us, we as a church family are walking through the Gospel of John together. And uh, we're in John 18, okay? John chapter 18. If you don't own a Bible, all you have to do is go into the altar room when we're done. If you're watching over in the venue, just go into the altar room over there. We'll give you a Bible. We, we want to put a, 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 you know, a copy of the scriptures into everybody's hands. You want one, we got one for you. If you're watching online, come to the church office on Monday, Tuesday, or whatever, and we'll give you um, your own Bible. Okay, now I want you to pull out the note sheet. Okay, everybody got the note sheet? Because I, I want to kind of maybe do a, a little bit of a rewind. We spent the month of June in a special series called uh, Dynamic Duos of the Faith. And wow, that was, just, that, that was just really special in a lot of planes. It was kind of fun to look at these great duos in the Bible and, and what we could learn from them. It was really um, special, I know, to hear from all these different you know, preachers that we have here in our campus. It was really neat. And, but I want to kind of get us maybe caught up, and I want to... I don't know, remind us of what we've looked at. And you can see, I, I put on your notes what we've looked at so far. In John chapter one, we saw the fact that Jesus was God. It says in John one that in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. Chapter two was Jesus turn, turning water into wine. He, he does his first miracle at a, at a wedding in, in Cana. In chapter 3, Jesus has this incredible conversation, spiritual conversation with this religious leader by the name of Nicodemus. In chapter 4, Jesus talked with a, a really sinful woman at a well. And after that conversation, that woman goes back to her own hometown and basically a, a revival kind of broke out. In chapter five, Jesus heals a, a man at a pool. Remember that man had been there for 38 years waiting for some sort of miracle. You get to chapter six and Jesus feeds 5,000 plus people with a, with a young boy's sack lunch. Remember that? Young boy shows up and he's got a couple of loaves of bread and a few fish. And Jesus took what he had, and then he performed the miracle with it. And there's a great lesson there. Just give God what you have, and then expect him maybe to do things you couldn't even imagine. Chapter 7, Jesus promises living water to all who would put their trust or faith in him. Chapter 8, Jesus talks with an adulterous woman. In chapter 9, Jesus heals a blind man that was born blind. In chapter 10, Jesus is, is, is my shepherd. He, he's the good shepherd. In chapter 11, Jesus raises Lazarus from the, the dead. In chapter 12, Jesus is anointed with perfume. Remember, Mary took some expensive perfume and pours it on Jesus' feet, and then she takes her hair and cleans his feet with it. And then that little story ends with this great phrase, the, the house was filled with the fragrance 
Imagine what that home must have smelt like for days or maybe even weeks or months. Chapter 13, Jesus washes the disciples' feet. And if you were here that weekend, I demonstrated that here up on this platform. In fact, we as a church used to practice foot washing all the time here. And we would get together and, and men would be with men and women would be with women. We'd have a little family section and we actually would have little basins and towels and we would actually wash people's feet here. Now, church got big, so it makes it a little bit more difficult to, to pull that off. But chapter 13 is where we see that happening. In chapter 14, Jesus promises that he'll send us the Holy Spirit. Chapter 15, Jesus is divine and, and we're but the branches. Chapter 16, Jesus explains the work of the Holy Spirit. And then the last time we met, which is a month ago, we looked at chapter 17. Jesus prayed for himself. Jesus prayed for his disciples. And then Jesus prays literally for us. Now, obviously, we looked at a lot more things than just those headings as we've been through this study. Um, but that, that kind of gives us an idea or um, it just helps us to, to remember some of the weighty things that we've looked at. And it's been really, really, really great. Now, I, I want you to look at the title of chapter 17 again. Okay, look at your notes. Look at the title of chapter 17 Jesus prays for himself, his disciples, and you. Beloved, this is the Lord's Prayer. John 17 records the Lord's Prayer. Now, most people think that the Lord's Prayer is found in Matthew chapter 6. Pray then this way, Jesus said, Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Beloved, that's our prayer. Jesus is teaching us to pray in Matthew chapter 6. But in John chapter 17, that's Jesus's Prayer. That's the real Lord's Prayer, if you will. So with all this said, look at Matt, uh, John chapter 18. John 18. After saying these things, after Jesus prayed in John 17, after Jesus prayed for himself, after Jesus prayed for his men, and after Jesus prayed for you, Jesus crossed the Kidron Valley with his disciples and entered a grove of olive trees. It's more commonly known as the Garden of Gethsemane. A lot of you have been there on a, on a tour maybe that we've given. Verse two says, Judas the betrayer knew this place because Jesus had often gone there with his disciples. The Garden of Gethsemane was a place that Jesus often went to, and he would take his guys there often. Verse 3, the leading priests and Pharisees had given Judas a contingent of Roman soldiers and temple guards to accompany him. Now, 
We don't know exactly how many soldiers there were. Nobody really knows. Most scholars believe that there was at least a hundred. There were at least a hundred fully armed Roman soldiers, temple guards, fully armed. Obviously, Judas is there. And these hundred fully armed soldiers are there to arrest one guy. One guy. Verse 3 goes on and says, Now with blazing torches, lanterns, and weapons, they arrived at the olive grove. Okay, got this picture? Kind of keep it in your mind. There's Judas, a hundred plus Roman soldiers, temple guards, fully loaded. On the other side, one unarmed man and ten disciples who were armed. They were armed. Verse 4, Jesus fully realized <clears throat> All that was going to happen to him, he, he fully realized it. Why? Because he was all-knowing. So he stepped forward to meet them. Jesus is taking the initiative. John wanted to make sure you understood this. The other Gospels kind of make it sound like Judas took the initiative. Judas walks up and kisses Jesus on the, on the cheek. That's not what happened. Judas, I think, does kiss Jesus on the cheek. John has given us an important piece of data here. It was Jesus who took the initiative. He stepped forward to meet them. Who are you looking for? Jesus, verse 5, the Nazarene, they replied. These Roman soldiers, they didn't really know who Jesus was. They didn't care who Jesus was. They were given an order Go arrest this guy, and so there they went to arrest a the guy. They weren't given, you know, a, a wanted poster with his picture and, you know, and all of that. There wasn't a squad meeting, and these Roman soldiers didn't care. Didn't care, which is why Judas had to be there. Hey, look, we don't, we don't, we don't really know who this Jesus guy is. We don't care who he is. We just got an order. We're supposed to go get him. Judas, you're, you're going to be there to help us figure this whole thing out? Yeah, I'll be there with you. Verse 5 says, I am he, said Jesus. Judas, who betrayed him, was standing with him. Verse 6, as Jesus said, I am he, they all drew back and fell to the ground. Now imagine that scene here. You got these hundred plus fully armed soldiers, temple guard. Over here you got one armed, unarmed guy and ten disciples you know, fishermen, tax collectors. Jesus steps forward. I'm he. And all of these soldiers kind of fell to the ground. They're all laying on the ground. Kind of got that picture in your mind? Can you imagine that a little bit? Now here's the deal. Those soldiers didn't know who he was. 
But as they kind of got up and shook the dust off, uh, I got the feeling most of them were saying, you know, we should have gathered a little bit more intel on this guy. I think they were maybe understanding why there was a hundred plus men going after one guy. I think all of a sudden these guys got up and went, okay, we may not know who this guy is, but this, ain't, ain't, this guy ain't no ordinary man. Verse seven, once more he asked them, who are you looking for? Remember, he's taking the initiative here. And again, they replied, Jesus of Nazareth. Now, I got to imagine at that point, you know, the guys are kind of going, I better get my balance here. Last time he answered the question, something happened. Not sure what it was. Something happened. Verse eight, I told you that I am he, Jesus said. And since I'm the one you want, let these others go. He's talking about the other disciples. He did this to fulfill his own statement. I did not lose a single one of those you have given me. Look at verse 10. Oh, man. Simon Peter drew a sword and slashed off the right ear Malchias, the high priest's slave. You know, Peter was a great man. There's no doubt that he loved Jesus deeply. And he was obviously, you know, ready to die for, for Jesus. But later on in this chapter, he's going to deny even knowing Jesus three times. And I think this kind of illustrates a, a point I've made many times. I, I really believe this. I believe it's easier to die to give your life up for Jesus than it is to actually live for him. There's no doubt, man, Peter's ready to die. There's a hundred plus fully armed Navy SEALs standing right there. And here's Peter willing to die. But then he has a hard time just living for the Lord. All of a sudden, a little peasant girl is going to ask him, hey, listen, aren't you one of, you know, Jesus' followers? Hey, not me. I ain't the guy. I don't know what you're talking about. Never seen him. Don't know him. Isn't that weird? But we can all maybe relate a, a little bit to this moment here. By the way, Peter was a great fisherman, but he was a, a horrible swordsman. I mean, he was aiming at the guy's head. There's no doubt about it and misses. I can guarantee you if one of these Roman soldiers or temple guards were to pull their sword and go for your head, they nail it. They were marksmen. That's what they trained to do. P P Peter was a fisherman. Verse 11, but Jesus said to Peter, Peter, put your sword back in its sheath. Shall I not drink from the cup of suffering the Father has given me? Now I'm going to stop there. But after all this happen, happens, chapter 18 records that Jesus was taken away by these 
soldiers and he has a couple of really high-powered waiting meetings with Ananias, who was the father-in-law of Caiaphas, the high priest that year. And then he actually meets with Caiaphas, the high priest. Then ultimately he meets with Pilate, who was the Roman governor at the time. So John chapter 18 is really rich. And I want to encourage you uh, this week. Here's your homework assignment. Just go home and, and read it and reread it and read it again. It's just really, really powerful, really, really powerful. Today, I'm going to zero in on, on really one thought in these first 11 verses, okay? There's really only one thing I want you to kind of have bouncing around in your mind in a little while when you walk out these doors. This next week, when you're at work or you're ironing the clothes or you're feeding the baby or whatever it is you do, I just got one thing. I want you to think about just one, okay? And that's this. Jesus is the great protector of his people. That's what I want you to focus on. That Jesus is the great protector of his people. And that includes you. If you know him as your Lord and as your Savior, he's your great protector. And I think we, we see that being borne out here in our text. Look, look at verse 4. It says, Jesus fully realized all that was going to happen to him, so he steps forward to meet them. Who are you looking for, he asked. And I think this begins to give us a clear picture of Jesus protecting his guys. Remember, there's this, you know, group, however large it was, of Roman soldiers, heavily armed Roman soldiers, standing on one side of the garden, and on the other side was, was Jesus, who was unarmed, as I said, with his ten guys, and they did have, you know, some weapons. Were they as good as the weapons that the Navy SEALs had? Probably not. But they did have some weapons. And Jesus knew, look, if something goes down, if all of a sudden, you know, my 10 guys and this group of soldiers get into it, it's going to be a slaughter. And so here we see Jesus stepping into the fray to protect his guys. Jesus steps forward and says, hey, who is it you want? Who are you looking for? Remember, he knows everything. He knows that they don't know who he is. Who, who do you want? Who's the guy you're looking for? He's, he, he's going to protect his guys. They say, we're looking for Jesus. I'm the guy. In other words, those aren't the guys you're looking for. Those aren't the guys you want. I'm the guy you want. Now, to give these fully armed Roman soldiers an incentive to leave these 10 disciples out of it, and I don't know what he did, he put a little extra into his voice and says, I'm the guy, boom, and they all fall down. I think these guys got up and went, whoa, 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 whoa. What's going on here? 
What's happening here in this moment? Now, are these soldiers terrified that Jesus and these 10 guys are going to leap up and attack them? No, I don't think so. These are, these are the best trained soldiers on the planet. They're looking over at Peter and a tax collector and a and they're going, no, I, I don't think they were scared of these guys one bit. Did they all get back in a, you know, in a defensive position and put their you know, swords out and their shields up? No, they didn't. They could see that Jesus wasn't armed. But I'll tell you this. I think when they fell to the ground, that was one of the things that was used to just say, you know what, here's the deal, man. Let's, let's be careful here. If those are his friends, if those are his buddies, we, we, we just ought to be a little bit careful. In fact, look at verse eight. Jesus said, I told you I'm the guy. I'm the guy you want. I'm the guy you're looking for. And since I'm the one you want, let these others go. You can see what's on his heart here. In chapter 19, he's going to be on a cross. He's going to the cross real soon, and yet here he is in the Garden of Gethsemane with his guys, and he's worried about them. He's caring about them. He's, he's protecting them. That's the, that's the word I, I'm, I'm choosing to use. He did this to fulfill his own statement. I did not lose a single one of those you have given me. And I think we're, we're seeing a, a, a clear picture of the heart of our God. He loves his people. He cares about his people. And because he loves and cares about his people, he protects them. He watches over them. In fact, according to the scriptures, God encircles or encompasses or covers or shields those who make him their refuge. That's how followers of Jesus throughout the ages have been able to walk unharmed through all kinds of dangers and scary situations. That, that's how Daniel sur survived in the lion's den, right? I mean, here he is in the lion's den, and, and I don't know, God put some sort of force field around him. He encompassed him. He encircled him. He was protecting Daniel, and you can read about that in Daniel chapter 6. God was a refuge for Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the fiery furnace, right? I mean, not only were these guys not burned when they were in the furnace, but when they came out, they didn't even smell like they, you know, had been around smoke. How did that happen? It happened because God put a force field around them, if you will. He, he encompassed them. He encircled them. He cared about them. He loved them. He protected them. And you can read about that in Daniel chapter 3. And here's the deal, beloved. That same protection is available to us. God, God loves you and he cares about you deeply. You're one of his kids. And he wants to protect you. I want everybody to actually turn to Psalms chapter 36. Okay, let, let me hear you. Let me hear the, the pages turn, okay? Let me hear it. Come on. Psalms 36. I want you to actually turn there. I want you to maybe underline this passage. Psalms 36 and verse 7 says, How precious is your unfailing love, 
O God. All humanity finds shelter in the shadow of your wings. Wow. I know what a lot of you are asking yourself. What does that mean? What in the world does that mean? Well, that was written by King David. And there's no doubt that when King David was a young man and he was a shepherd taking care of, you know, the sheep out in the desert or out in the fields, he would see eagles flying. There's no doubt that as David became the king and he would be traveling through the deserts or the fields or whatever, he would see eagles flying. Eagles have about a seven-foot wingspan. And there's no doubt that David would watch those eagles land in their nests. And as a young man, he would watch it. And as an older man, he would watch. And, and, and when it got really hot, it can get over 100 degrees, the eagle would land and would take its wings, the mother would take its wings and put them over the baby eagles that were in the nest to protect them, to give them shade from the heat. And I know David saw that. I, I have no doubt that in the winter when it was snowing, David would see these eagles with their seven-foot wingspans wrapping them around the babies in their nests to keep them warm and sheltered from the snow. And King David says, I want you to know, wow, that's what the Lord does. He takes a seven-foot wingspan, if you will, and he protects his people with it. Isn't that a great image? Isn't that incredible to think about? Psalms 57 basically says the, the same thing. Have mercy on me, O God. I look to you for protection. I will hide beneath the shadow of your wings until the danger passes by. You get it? You, get, you, you see the imagery that David's bringing up? I want you to turn to Psalms chapter 91. Tur, tur, turn there real quick, okay? This is a great psalm. I've, I've read Psalm 91 just over and over and over again these last few months. Look at verse 10. Those who live in the shelter of the Most High will find rest in the shadow of the Almighty. Wow. That's just weighty right there. This I declare about the Lord. He alone is my refuge, my place of safety. He is my God and I trust him. For he will rescue you from every trap and protect you from deadly disease. He will cover you with his feathers. He will shelter you with his wings. His faithful promises are your armor and protection. Do not be afraid of the terrors of the night, nor the arrows that flies in the day. 
Do not dread the disease that stalks in darkness, nor the disaster that strikes at midday. Though a thousand fall at your side, though 10,000 are dying around you, these evils will not touch you. Just open your eyes and see how the wicked are punished. If you make the Lord your refuge, if you make the Most High your shelter, no evil will conquer you. No plague will come near your home, for he will order his angels to protect you wherever you go. They will hold you up with their hands so you won't even hurt your foot on a stone. You will trample under lions and cobras. You will crush fierce lions and serpents under your feet. The Lord says, I will rescue those who love me. I will protect those who trust in my name. And when they call on me, I'll answer. I will be with them in trouble. I will rescue and honor them. I will reward them with a long life and give them my salvation. Whew. Man, let me tell you something. You read that over and over and over and over again, Christian. I mean, that's food for the Holy Spirit that lives within you. That'll change your outlook on things. If you read it and you really believe it. If you really believe it. Look, if you're one of God's children, he longs to protect you. Even when you do stupid things. Even when you do dumb things. In fact, I want you to look at verse 10 of John chapter 18. Look at verse 10. Then Simon Peter drew a sword and slashed off the right ear of uh, uh, Malchias, the, the high priest's slave. <laughs> but Jesus said to Peter, hey, look, put, your, put your, you know, your sword back in sleep. Shall I not drink from the cup of suffering the Father has given me? Uh, beloved, this is really, really stupid. I mean, this was just idiotic. This was attempted murder. He pulls out his rusty sword and goes after a guy. And there's a, a hundred plus fully armed soldiers. Now Luke gives us another piece of information about this moment of stupidity. It says this in Luke chapter 22. When the other disciples saw what was about to happen, they exclaimed, Lord, should we fight? We brought, you know, we brought our swords, you know, which is probably like a, you know, a Swiss army knife. Hey, you know, I can pull the toothpick out and poke them, you know, compared to what these guys are carrying. And one of them struck at the high priest slave, slashing off his right ear. But Jesus said, no more of this. And here he is. He's going to protect this guy's stupidity. He walks up. And puts the ear back on the high priest's slave. Whoa, you got a situation here. We, we, got, we, we got a bad deal going down here. Jesus is trying to defuse the situation. I'm the guy you want. I'm the guy you're looking for. Don't, you know, don't touch these guys. Leave these guys alone. Peter, you know, stupid Peter, he pulls out his sword, cuts a guy's ear off. Oh, man. And Jesus is putting the ear back on going, hey, listen, we all go. In fact, guy could probably hear better after he got his new ear than before. You know, hey, look, I got you covered, man. Hey, look, just relax. Look, the ear's back on. And once again, you know these soldiers had to be going, whoa, whoa. 
Who is this guy? What's going on here? I want you to think about this. What happens here with Peter and Jesus and John 18 is very similar to what happened to all of us. Because of our sin, because of our rebellion against God and his word, we deserve to die. You see, Peter deserved to die at that moment. Everybody would have understood if one of these soldiers would have gone, I don't know who that guy is. I think I've seen him out fishing in the Galilee, but that's crazy, man. He's cut off that guy's ear. He attempted murder. Maybe he's going to come after one of us. And so there you go. You know, he's down. Nobody would have thought anything of it. You see, our sin, our rebellion against God, you know what? We, We deserve to die. In fact, because of our sin, you know what? We were facing 100 fully armed Roman soldiers, so to speak, if you will. But Jesus stepped in. He stepped in and, and protected us. Romans chapter 5 says, But God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. And since we have been made right in God's sight by the blood of Christ, he will certainly save us from God's condemnation. He will save us from those fully armed Roman soldiers. You deserve to die just as Peter deserved to die in that moment because of your sin. But Jesus steps in And Lonnie led us through a beautiful time of remembering the life of Jesus, his body, God actually coming and then dying and sacrificing his his blood, his life on a cross, the cup. And because of that, everything's been made okay. You and God are, are, are good. You and God are golden. Everything's okay between you and God. Your sin has been forgiven because of what Jesus did. If you know Jesus as your Savior, you ought to take comfort in the truth that he's looking after you. Because after Genesis 3, when sin enters into the equation of life, you know what? Why God even cared about us is somewhat of a mystery. But he does. He cared about you deeply. And he promised a Savior, he promised a Messiah. And 2,000 years ago, that Savior and Messiah showed up in a little town called Bethlehem. 33 years later, he dies on a cross for you, for me. It's crazy. Crazy how much he loves us. This past week, I, I did something really stupid. I, I pulled a Peter. You ever, you ever pulled the Peter where you said something really stupid or you, or you did something really stupid and you go, oh man, that was stupid. You know, I know you, you're, you're, you're a holy group. Probably doesn't happen to anybody in here, I'm sure. But you all know me. I get it, Pastor. You're probably doing that all the time. And, and, and I really did something stupid. I was in a meeting with some guys that I love deeply and I said something I just shouldn't have said. 
I didn't need to say it. But I said it. And uh, one of the guys, you know, kind of found me the next day or whatever it was and said, man, that was, that was pretty crummy kind of a thing. <laughs> I went home and I'm sitting at home and I'm reading this story and I'm reading it over and over again and I thought, you know what, he's right. That was, that was really crummy. I shouldn't have said that. I didn't need to say that. And so, you know, you, know, you, you got to be right with people, right? That's what Lonnie was talking about. And so there's only one thing the scriptures tell me I got to do. I, I, I had to call some people and say, hey, man, would you forgive me? And obviously they, 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 they forgive. They forgave. But one of the things I was thankful for is that even through our stupid things we do, God's still there. He still loves us. He still cares for us. He still protects us. And I think this is, a, when you look at what Peter did, it's a beautiful illustration uh, of, of that. Um, let me take uh, maybe a, a few minutes and, and, and get a little, little, little practical here, okay? How, how does God do it today? How does God protect us today, Pastor? Okay, I, I believe what the Bible says. I believe that that he protects us. But, but how does that really play itself out? Well, I think there are lots of ways, but, but let, me, let me give you maybe the, 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 the big one, all right? Ephesians chapter six says this. Put on God's full armor so that you will be able to stand firm against all the strategies of the devil, the demons. For we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against rulers and, and evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, against evil spirits in heavenly places. In other words, we're fighting against the de demons, is what he's saying there. Therefore, put on every piece of God's armor so you'll be able to resist the enemy in the time of evil. Then after the battle, you will, you will still be standing firm. Stand your ground, putting on the belt of truth and the body armor of God's righteousness. For shoes, put on the peace that comes from the good news so you will be fully prepared. In addition to all these, hold up the shield of faith to stop the fiery arrows of the devil. Put on salvation as your helmet and take the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. And then he ends it by saying, pray in the spirit at all times and on every occasion. Stay alert and be persistent in your prayers for all believers everywhere. Here's the deal, Christians. Yes, you have the Holy Spirit in you. No doubt about that. And yes, we have this great promise from God that, that he will protect his people. But we have a role to play in this. And we just read at least one of the big roles that we have to play, and that is we've got to have the armor on. God's given us the armor, if you will. And we can make the choice to say, you know what, I'm not going to put the armor on today. And you leave yourself exposed. Oh, you don't lose your salvation if you say something stupid <laughs> or you, whatever. But you certainly leave yourself exposed to the schemes and those fiery darts of the enemy. 
But if you do what the scriptures say, and you put your trust in him, and, and you believe in him, and then you, you follow his instructions about life, and you, you get the armor on, wow. It's crazy how God protects you. Especially, I, I love the visual of the shield of faith. There's the picture, once again, of Romans soldiers who would have had shields and how they protect a Roman soldier. If a guy's coming at you with a sword, you know, if you just stuck your arm up, they cut your arm off, but you put your shield up and bink! Or someone, you know, shoots an arrow, bink! The shield is, is protecting you from all of these arrows that are coming in, or you know, someone's got a sword and they're jabbing it at you. It makes it a whole lot easier if you got a sword, or, you know, shield with you that protects you from whatever dangers might might be out there. The greatest psalm, or maybe the most famous psalm, is probably Psalms 23. It says, "The Lord is my shepherd." King David said, "The Lord's my shepherd. I have all that I need." He lets me rest in green meadows. He leads me by peaceful streams. He renews my strength. He guides me along right paths. He bringing honor to his name. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death or the darkest valley, I will not be afraid. Why? David, why aren't you going to be afraid? You are close beside me. Your rod and your staff protect me, and they come for me. In fact, you even prepare a feast for me in the presence of my enemies. You honor me by anointing my head with oil. My, my cup overflows with blessings, David says. Surely your goodness and unfailing love will pursue me all the days of my life, and I will live in the house of the Lord forever. And I want you to zero in on, on verse four. I want you to notice what it doesn't say. It doesn't say, even though I run through the valley of the shadow of death, or, or, or I panic as I go through the valley, or as I turn and go the other way through the valley. It doesn't say that. What it says is, even though I walk through the valley. And that word walk has this idea of being at peace. I'm walking through this valley. And there's all kinds of, you know, crazy things out there that could harm me, that could hurt me. But you know what? I'm walking through it. I'm not zigzagging through it, you know, hiding behind bushes, you know. Woo! No, not David. He knew. You know what? I can walk through this valley. I'm going to walk through it. Because the Lord is my shepherd. He's the one who's protecting me. He's right there with me. God himself said this in Isaiah chapter 43. He says, hey, when you go through deep waters, I'm gonna be with you. When you go through rivers of difficulty, you will not drown. When you, when you walk through the fire of oppression, you will not be burned up. The flames will not consume you. And he's talking about the nation of Israel there. But I want you to know something. It's true for you too. It's true in an individual level. He cares about you. He loves you deeply. He knows exactly who you are. You were chosen before the foundations of the world to be a part of his family. 
He loved you so much and cared for you so much. He, 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 he dies on a cross for you. He's right there with you, whatever it is you go through. Colossians chapter one says, God will strengthen you with his own great power so that you will not give up when troubles come, but you'll be patient. Here's the bottom line. Here's what I wanted you to get out of this, and I hope you did. We see in these first 11 verses of John 18, Jesus protecting his guys. And I want you to have that picture in your mind because that same Jesus is protecting you. He's there for you. You just stay close to him. You just honor him with your life. And I guarantee you, he'll protect you. Now I'm gonna have you stand up, I'm gonna pray for you, and then I'm gonna meet down here just for a few minutes with anybody who wants to meet, okay? Hey, hey, get your tickets to the... uh, to our, 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 our little marriage seminars that we do, our little marriage soirees that we, we have, okay? I wanna tell you right now, those are, those are fantastic. Make sure you get out there and buy your ticket. Father, thank you, Lord, for our time here. Thank you, God, for the music. It was just unbelievably sacred and beautiful. Thank you for Lonnie and his walking us through such an, an important thing, communion. Lord, thank you for the word of God and its power in our lives. Give us a great time as we head off, maybe to prime time, or we head out to the cafe to fellowship or whatever it is we're gonna do. And I pray this in your name, amen.